0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with we'll clips today from The Jimmy Dore Show, The Young Turks, The David Pacman Show, The Progressive, The Bugle, and The Rachel Maddow Show. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, the topic of this episode may cause headaches, nausea, loss of appetite, and loss of health insurance.
1: Okay, so now let's move on to the new... We had a vice presidential pick this week, happened for Mitt Romney, and you know... Romney desperately needed to change the subject, so he picked Paul Ryan, successfully changing the conversation from his tax returns in Bain Capital to destroying the social safety net. This is all part of Mitt Romney's strategy to lose Florida.
2: (laughs) He's a master.
1: But who is Paul Ryan? He's a deficit hawk who said he got interested in government politics after reading Ayn Rand. Really? Because Paul Ryan voted for two unfunded wars, TARP, and tax cuts for the rich. Turns out... When Atlas was actually asked to reduce the deficit, he shrugged. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Paul Ryan is also endorsed by the Log Cabin Republicans. Did you guys know that? No, oh, I, didn't I heard know that. that. Yes. No. You know, and you Hypocrisy
3: know, knows no
4: bounds. Really? Why not? Why right. not just add that to the list? That's an a, insane a, a thing. S- get, no logical sense. Things.
1: You know, Rich, I, I see where you think it's illogical, but I can also see logic in it. Right? He's got the deep blue eyes and a strong jaw. Oh, he does
4: those uh, ab shots of himself. He does all the,
1: the, the P690 or whatever that is. Yeah, he does all all the, that diet. The PX90 yeah. thing. He's XN. got XN. Eyes. You know, I'm just saying, he's the kind of good looking that could not only turn me gay but turn me into a log a Republican, you know, you know, I'm that kind of a guy. One moderately good blowjob, and I want to cut taxes on the wealthiest Americans.
4: <laughs> you know, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, uh, Danny Thomas was a log coffee table. <laughs> I love public radio. <laughs> so here is uh,
1: so here is how Paul Ryan spins ending Medicare as we know it, turning it into a voucher program and shifting the costs to sick elderly people. Here's how he explains it. Choice and competition, giving the senior
3: the power to deny business to inefficient providers.
1: Okay, did you, I don't know if you... Did, could you catch that? Let's hear it one more time. He's, what, this is what his plan does, he says. This is Choice what his, and competition,
3: giving the senior the power to deny business to inefficient providers.
1: Yeah.
2: Seniors? Oh, sorry. Give,
1: yeah, he says give seniors the power <laughs> oh. to deny businesses... Business to inefficient providers. That you know, is, he's saying another way of wording it is
3: I don't have enough money
5: <laughs> to come in
1: this
3: building. What he's saying is
1: you know how I deny con- it. How consumers get to call the shots when dealing with health insurance monopolies. You
2: know? Oh yeah. yeah oh you know. I always feel like I'm in the driver's seat. Always. <laughs> yeah. See, I
1: thought that insurance companies were gonna be turning down seniors, but no, sick old people are going to be turning the tables <laughs> in Paul right. Ryan's world on the health insurance right. companies and deny them business. I'd like to see how that would play out. Hi, Blue Cross. I'm a senior citizen with diabetes and a host of other problems. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that your overhead is over 20%. Is that true? Well, I'm sorry, but that is too efficient for my taste. (laughs) (laughs) And I will be taking my business down the street to the other health insurance company that is just clamoring for more 78-year-old senior citizens to cover.
6: (laughs) (laughs)
7: Let's
5: talk about the ideological north star for Paul Ryan, the person who has guided him in his career and his ideology. Well, it's Ayn Rand, and it's not me saying that, it's Paul Ryan saying it. He said, quote, "The reason I got involved in public service, by and large, if I had to credit one thinker, one person, it would be Ayn Rand." Paul Ryan also said, "Rand makes the best case for the morality of democratic capitalism." I'll get to that morality in a second. And in 2005, he also said, I grew up on Ayn Rand. So, who is Ayn Rand? Well, she's written Atlas Shrugged and Fountainhead, and a ton of conservatives and Republicans uh, idolize her. Well, she thought that uh, all the government programs, Medicare, Social Security, et cetera, were for the weak, and that being selfish was the best thing you could do. Being altruistic and helping others, she thought was evil. By the way, did she take Social Security later in life? Of course! She did it under the name of her uh, husband so that she wouldn't get caught. Why? She smoked two packs a day, thought it was a conspiracy theory that you would get cancer from smoking tobacco. She got lung cancer. Oops. And then she needed the money, so she took Social Security, like the fraud that she is. But let me tell you more about Ayn Rand. She said that the idea of having a woman president even though she herself, of course, is obviously a woman. She said the idea of having a woman president is unspeakable. She said that the Arabs are, quote, as almost totally primitive savages. She said the handicapped are, quote, subnormal children. And that by helping the handicapped, the government wants to bring, quote, bring everybody to the level of the handicapped. What a terrific swell gal this uh, Ayn Rand is. If you think that's bad, wait till you get a load of her admiration for William Edward Hickman. Well, who's William Hickman? He was a serial killer. Literally. Now, first, this is pretty tough stuff, but let me describe to you what Hickman did to a twelve-year-old girl, and then we'll tell you what I Rand thought of that. Here is Michael Prescott's description of how it went down at the time. At the end of the street, Marion, who was a twelve-year-old girl, Marion's corpse was dumped onto the pavement, that's by Mike William Hickman. She was dead, her legs had been chopped off and her eyes had been wired open to appear as if she was still alive. Her internal organs had been cut out and pieces of her body were later found strewn all over the Los Angeles area. Here's what William Hickman apparently said about that crime and others. Quote, what is good for me is right. Now, what did Ayn Rand say about William Hickman and that philosophy? Quote, it was the best and strongest expression of a real man psychology I have heard. Now, the reason she says that is because according to her ideological principles, she thinks of basically the, what's called a the Superman theory. It doesn't matter. If you can do it, you take it. There's takers. And there are makers. Now, ironically, Paul Ryan talks in the same language, by the way takers and makers. They consider themselves in the maker category and not from taking from the government. But if you take from others, that's perfectly fine. You want to take their 12 year old daughter and chop her legs off? Totally fine. Hey, that shows you're not bound by society's rules. You're not altruistic. You don't care about helping other people. You're an individual. This was the height of individualism. So Ayn Rand thought, rock and roll. Wow, that guy's a superman. That guy's a hero. He's a real man. That's a quote. So, Paul Ryan, tell me what you think about Ayn Rand.
1: And Ayn Rand, more than anyone else, did a fantastic job. The morality of capitalism, the morality of individualism. And this, to me, is what is matters most. I think Ayn Rand did the best job of anybody to build a moral case for capitalism and that morality of capitalism is
5: under assault does that sound like morality to you now look you can say hey paul ryan probably didn't know about her her support for the serial killer and i say all right you know what that's probably fair enough i didn't know about it until recently okay? but it has that same cult of individualism where no one else matters the only person that matters is yourself the highest moral good is selfishness that he definitely knows about, and that's why he admires her. And it is sick. You can make an argument that is sociopathic to say I don't give a damn about anybody else. All I care about is me, 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 me. And that is exactly the Republican ideology. That is the Paul Ryan ideology. And that's why they love Iron Rand. You know what? If you're not sure about where she comes from, don't worry. She's on tape. They interviewed her back when she was alive. Think Progress put this together along with a couple of quotes. Check out what she had to say.
3: You are out to destroy almost every edifice in the contemporary American way of life, our Judeo-Christian religion, our modified government-regulated capitalism, our rule by the majority will. Other reviews have said that you scorn churches and the concept of God. Are these accurate criticisms? Uh yes. Christ, every important moral leader in man's history has taught us that we should love one another. Why then is this kind of love in your mind immoral? It is immoral if it is a love placed above oneself. And then if a man is weak or a woman is weak, then she is beyond, he is beyond love? He certainly does not deserve it. He certainly needs beyond There are very few of us then in this world by your standards who are worthy of love. Uh, unfortunately yes very few don't
4: do you- not
1: So here's what he had to say. They sat him down after he got the vice presidential nod, and here's what he had to say. I later in life learned about what her philosophy was. It's called objectivism. It's something I completely
2: disagree with. It's not <laughs> Later. No, later. Oh, wow. later. I completely
1: disagree with it. was just a youthful indiscretion, you know, like when he was 40. <laughs> <laughs> later in life, oh my last God. Tuesday, I realized after worshiping for so 30 when years. Was that,
2: so when was that last po- thing That said? was
1: that's just now when he got picked to be vice
2: president. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, yeah. You want to hear it again? I'd love to hear it again. I yeah. later in life learned about what her philosophy was. It's called objectivism. It's something I can
4: uh, completely disagree with.
1: I learned what her philosophy. What the hell did were you learning about before? Yeah, hey, her, hey. Knitting, her knitting, cro- croquet work. Hey, you were- if
4: you want to work in my office and help me pass legislation, please read this book that I completely disagree <laughs> with. <laughs> This is what not to believe. I told him, don't believe this. But everyone has
2: to read it. I
4: it's can- require He said required reading in his office. office. This oh, yeah. is something you're required to read. This thing. I completely disagree yeah. with As the philosophy he- of. As he got a little older, he
1: realized what her philosophy was. What? What else were you talking about the whole time? Yeah. It's, he liked her font. It's just like yeah. <laughs> uh, nice work, Steph. That's Steph Zamorano from he comedy fontan-head. and everything else. That's right. The head. <laughs> well, it's like he's like he said, like, yeah. I com-, he completely rejected her philosophy and adopted the philosophy of lying about rejecting her philosophy.
4: Oh. <laughs> well, the thing is, is I think he only read the classic Comics Illustrated version of the Fountainhead. <laughs> that didn't have all of the co- the objective.
1: Well, now, ever since he's been picked for Brie Pri he's he's told everyone on his staff to quit reading the Fountainhead, don't see the film, and avoid all movies starring Gary Cooper.
6: <laughs> it's gonna be okay. It's
0: gonna be
1: okay. <laughs>
7: There's so much I need to say to you So many reasons why You're the only one who really knew me at all So take a look at me now Oh, There's just an empty space And there's nothing left here to remind me Just a memory of your face
8: me let's talk about whether Paul Ryan is even qualified to be vice-president which of course means he's qualified to be president by Mitt Romney's own standards okay now is he a qualified politician is he an experienced politician as a politician Paul Ryan hasn't really done very much he's only passed two bills into law in more than the last 10 years in July of 2000 he passed a bill that renamed a post office in his district oh wow. ambitious yeah the other time was December of 2008 where paul ryan uh passed legislation to change the way arrows as in bows and arrows lewis are hit with an excise tax and it turns out uh, ryan had a personal interest in this he is an accomplished bow hunter. So those are the two bills that that Paul Ryan has successfully seen passed. Now let's say for a second that we don't care about what he's done as a politician because we care like Mitt Romney has said he cares and Republicans have said they care about Paul Ryan's private sector experience, right? That's what we've heard time and time again about what it takes to be president of the United States. By Mitt Romney's own standard, Paul Ryan isn't qualified to be president. He has essentially no private sector experience unless you count working at a didn't he work at a McDonald's when he was younger or something like that? I don't know. How how old is he? He's in his 40s, right? Yeah. And he's been he's been a politician for like 20 years. He's been a politician for a long time. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, by Mitt Romney's own standard, Paul Ryan is completely unqualified to be president of the United States, which is ultimately the question about the vice president. Could they be a qualified president in the event that anything were to happen? To hey, the president. hey, one one month as as VP under Romney, you'll have all the experience you need. There you go, of right? course. Instantly, you yeah. would. Now, uh, let's not underestimate the fact that Ryan Ryan and Romney, Romney and Ryan. However, whichever order you think makes sense, um, that they could actually become the president and vice president of the United States. As ridiculous as those who are clear-thinking, logical, have a, any kind of semblance of logic and reason in their thinking, we know how absurd it would be if these two were elected. This is not the time to get complacent, Lewis. because they could win. Uh, I, I doubt it, but it, it is a possibility. Smash, smash, push, wide. tie
3: another one, two,
2: Last week, Mitt Romney chose Congressman Paul Ryan to be his vice presidential running mate because, obviously, Romney was desperate to stop talking about his tax returns. The choice of Ryan did come as a surprise, as people expected Romney's choice to be somebody dull rather than somebody extremely dangerous. (laughs) Many commentators have claimed Ryan brings much-needed excitement. People also get excited by earthquakes, forest fires, and multiple car pileups, but do we really need them? With his instinctive feel for terrible decisions, Romney has now decided to make a stand against Latinos, gays, women, and the elderly. Many insiders had thought he needed at least some of those people's votes, but obviously Romney hopes Ryan's good looks and right-wing extremism will bring millions more horny white bigots to the polls than Polente could have ever attracted. <laughs> Meanwhile, if all goes according to plan, millions of Obama voters will be turned away because they have no picture ID. (laughs) Some pundits say the vice presidential candidate doesn't even matter that much. What counts is how many millions are spent convincing voters that it's Obama who's out to destroy Medicare and that only Romney can save it. What's really strange is the argument that maybe we don't need Medicare anymore, which is like saying maybe we've been a little too rough on cancer. (laughs) Among Republicans, Ryan is considered an intellectual, but how hard can that be? He speaks with smooth confidence, but so does the man trying to talk you into giving him your life savings in exchange for a suitcase full of cut up newspapers. <laughs> the ability to lie convincingly is one of the most important traits of a successful sociopath. <laughs> I'm not saying Paul Ryan is a sociopath, but it would explain everything he said in public up till now. <laughs> the media should ignore him and just keep bugging Romney about releasing his tax returns because he really seems to hate that. <laughs>
9: Romney and Ryan are trying to shove down our throats their primitive view of the role of government and their crude idolatry of the profit motive. And what I've learned being in Wisconsin all these years and watching Scott Walker prevail against the recall is that these guys don't back down. They play for keeps. They're true believers. And if they're not vanquished, they'll roll right over you. Romney and Ryan not only want to repeal LBJ's Great Society, which gave us Medicare and Medicaid, they not only want to repeal FDR's New Deal, which codified the right to organize and gave us the minimum wage and provided us with Social Security, they also want to repeal the Progressive Era. Here's Paul Ryan, back in 2010, telling Glenn Beck, what I've been trying to do is indict the entire vision of progressivism. Look at how reactionary Paul Ryan is. Progressivism, after all, brought us women's suffrage, an end to lynchings, an end to child labor, the direct election of senators, our national park system, and the first serious regulations on corporate power, which is what really rankles Ryan and Romney. They want a party like it's 1899. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
6: This week, US presidential election 2012. Vote or sigh. Andy, I think that the US presidential election season is actually the perfect way for you to transition (laughs) from your addiction to the Olympics because they actually have a lot in common. Those two, two events. Think about it. The whole thing happens every four years. It's two people racing each other. After going round and round in circles, one will eventually be declared the winner. It's incredibly expensive to put on. And there's just as much corporate involvement that slightly soils the whole event. It's perfect, Andy. It's like a nicotine patch for a debilitating sports addiction. And there was a big development this week. Mitt Romney... Finally picked his running mate, and he went with Wisconsin Congressman Paul Ryan, a move which seemed to energise the base of the Republican Party, who love to be energised by Conservative picks around this time of year. Now, some people might say, why the hoopla? It's only the vice president. Why is everyone getting excited over a largely ceremonial role? Well, because that is simply no longer the case. You are thinking with a pre-year 2000 mentality. (laughs) Because it was around that time that Dick Cheney managed to successfully change his job description into something significantly more powerful than the job he signed up for. With Cheney, the Republicans seem to unlock their ideal formula for a presidential ticket. A sinister puppet master pulling the strings of a happy-go-lucky wooden boy. (laughs) The the aim for the Republicans at the start of any search for a presidential candidate is now to find a nominee who's essentially an empty, amiable husk, just palatable (laughs) enough to disguise the poisonous substance of their running mate. think Think about the track record. Bush, Cheney, McCain, Palin, and now Romney, Ryan. Because Paul Ryan might look like an average, Midwestern, good-looking man who was walking down the street when a Brooks Brothers store exploded all over him. (laughs) But but he wants to end Medicare, has spent the last few years driving John Boehner, the Speaker of the House here, into almost unprecedented levels of obstructionism. Now, you might think, why don't Republicans just nominate the person they actually want in the first place? Why didn't they just nominate Paul Ryan if they like him so much? Well, because they know... You cannot shoot pure heroin, Andy. It will f***ing kill you. You have to cut it with baking soda, and that is what they've done here.
10: I cannot tell you, Bugle, the amount of empirical research that John has done into that joke. Ever since his troubled early teenage years in Bedford. (laughs) The heroin capital of, of Arts, Beds and Bucks. When in Rome. Um... Well, yes, he I mean, it seems like many Republicans, too, love the concept of women having all the possible babies that they may or may not want, and of poor people mm-hmm. retaining the God-given rights to die untreated in the maximum amount of pain. Um, so, I guess uh, you see he's appealing clearly to the Republican Republican heartlands.
6: That's right, Andy, but what you're selling is not something that you can appeal to people with on the top half of your ticket. So that's why this system they found works. It's like <laughs> when you give a dog a pill for worms. It's never going to eat that pill on its own. The pill is clearly disgusting. So you hide that pill in a bowl of cottage cheese. And if the Republicans have their way, Andy, come November, America is going to have cottage cheese all over its face and not realise what it's just eaten. <laughs> <laughs> The concept is nothing new. Look at the ancient Greeks. They invented democracy, and when they sacked the city of Troy, they didn't just show up with a bunch of crazy Greeks. They put a bunch of crazy Greeks inside an empty wooden horse. (laughs) What I'm saying is, Romney is that empty wooden horse, and Paul Ryan is a bunch of crazy Greeks. (laughs) I don't remember that that horse being quite as much of a dick, though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Alright, that is the one flaw in that metaphor, Andy, but that is a that's a fair point. So the Trojans would have said, let's get rid of this fing horse. <laughs> this horse is an arsehole. <laughs> also it's this horse doesn't round not... in a ludicrous way. Just <laughs> horse... stupid classical music. This horse does not pay enough taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you just hate the success of horses. Andy, <laughs> You're trying to punish the success of that horse. But that is the concern with this. Election in November, the Democrats have an old-fashioned ticket. They're stuck in the 20th century, Andy, in a time when the vice president was just supposed to be America's clown, accidentally insulting people during state visits, giving thumbs-up to people at a funeral, maybe swearing at some schoolchildren, just generally causing a distraction. Under under the modern Republican Party, all of that is the president's job, (laughs) providing a smokescreen while the Machiavellian vice president pushes through things without anyone noticing. If the Democrats, Andy, want to show a real intention to the country that they intend to get things done over the next four years, they have three weeks before their own convention to switch their ticket around (laughs) and send a message. Uh, It's got to be Biden-Obama 2012. (laughs) Change you won't even realise is happening. I, I promise you, buglers, this could really work. If we had lived... Under President Biden, since 2008, Vice President Obama would have been able to get through a public option for health care, <laughs> a stimulus package twice the size of the one that America got, a comprehensive immigration bill, and he would have been able to close Guantanamo. All the while, President Biden distracted everyone by charmingly and slightly racistly screwing up African dances on the White House lawn.
10: <laughs> well, it's interesting that the you know this change that you uh, you pick out among in the role of. Uh, vice presidents, um, because it has, as you say, always been traditionally viewed as pointless. Uh, FDR's first VP, John Nance Garner, uh, observed that the office is not worth a bucket of warm spit. Um, Now, the other version of the quotation is that it is not worth a bucket of warm piss. Now, let's think about which one is more likely and which one has been clearly moderated (laughs) for public use. I mean, when you filled up a bucket with spit, that's quite a lot of spit that takes that is going to yeah. clearly cool to ambient room temperature <laughs> mm-hmm. so you would have to reheat it to get a bucket of warm spit whereas piss yeah. i mean you're going straight in with that you are going hey, he clearly said piss he clearly said it's worth a bucket of warm piss um a <laughs> par-
6: great historian of human language
10: <laughs> well you've got to read between the lines on these things <laughs> Um, The 28th vice-president, Thomas R. Marshall, lamented, once there were two brothers, one went away to sea, the other was elected vice-president, and nothing was heard of either of them again. (laughs) And uh, interestingly, uh, Theodore Roosevelt admitted to sleeping through sessions and, according to one source, enrolled in law school whilst (laughs) vice-president because of boredom. Uh, (laughs) And uh, this shows the kind of desperation uh, that that the office of vice-president can drive someone to... That two vice presidents have shot people. <laughs>
6: is that Dick, true? Dick Cheney, clearly. The, oh, yeah. The second. Yeah, of course. And, I cannot believe I forgot that. And, I cannot believe
10: it. And I mean, I think that is only the one that we've yeah. heard about. I think he probably yeah. shot a lot more people than that. And in 1804, the vice president, Aaron Burr, shot and killed the former Treasury Secretary, Alexander Hamilton, in a duel. So, mm-hmm. uh,. Well, I guess that was, you know, Cheney could merely say he was restoring an honourable tradition. But um, I I think the other way of looking at it is is a lot of presidents, selective vice president who's going to make them look absolutely awesome. Clearly, uh, Biden does that for Obama. He had Mm -hmm. Dan Quayle, um, Al Gore. That's right. Um, Abraham Lincoln had Hannibal Hamlin, uh, who was listed by Time magazine amongst the worst vice presidents ever. (laughs) Apparently, they'd never actually met before he was made vice president. Uh, and he was described as a notorious do-nothing politician
6: who essentially ignores the Civil War. Um, <laughs> that was... L- listen, Andy, from what I know of the American Civil War, that was a tricky one to ignore. Yeah, I mean, it was a big... The sound alone. Yeah, the a bangs big, and the screaming.
10: Yeah, it was a really big media story at the time, I think, wasn't it? I mean, a, yeah. a lot of the papers went in pretty big on that. Um, and, uh, but then Lincoln ditched him, because he clearly wasn't uh, useless enough, Hannibal Hamlin, uh-huh. because he had a, a frankly awesome name and he replaced him with Andrew Johnson, who proceeded to prove himself one of the worst presidents in history after Lincoln had cleverly died, to make himself look absolutely
6: fantastic. (laughs) He timed it perfect. (laughs) He really really dipped for the line, Lincoln.
10: Interestingly, this uh, will mean, this will continue uh, the trend um, of the last 30 years, that there uh, will not have been a bisyllabic vice president, in terms of uh, first name, since Walter Mondale. Since then we've had a George, a Dan, an Al, a Dick and a Joe, and now we'll have Joe or Paul. So clearly, what this shows, that was after ten consecutive bisyllabic vice presidents forenames, following John Nance Garner, had the decency to chuck in Nance to compensate for the disappointingly informal John. Uh, And it just shows the declining intellectual capability of America as a nation, that it is clearly no longer ready for a vice president (laughs) with a name that a caveman couldn't say.
0: The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so
7: much for your help. An incumbent member of Congress from the great state of Florida is as of tonight out of a job. Republican Congressman John Micah of Florida had to face off tonight against another member of Congress, another Republican incumbent named Sandy Adams. John Micah is pretty famous, he's a 10-term congressman, he's chairman of the House Transportation Committee, he's been on this show with me to talk about infrastructure. He was facing off against Sandy Adams, who's a freshman member of Congress, a Tea Party freshman, she had the backing of Sarah Palin, as well as Alan West. Well, thanks to the magic of redistricting, John Micah and Sandy Adams had to run against each other because their two house seats have been combined into one house seat. And within the last hour, we got a winner in the race. John Micah declared the winner in that race, meaning Sandy Adams' short-lived but Tea Party-supported congressional career is now over. In the big Senate race in Florida tonight, Republican Congressman Connie Mack has just been declared the winner. That means that Connie Mack will be taking on sitting Democratic Senator Bill Nelson in the general election in November. Today is Election Day in Florida. It has been very exciting, these races and more. But look at how all the politics news played on the front pages of Florida newspapers today. Look, these were the front pages. Romney campaigns in Florida. How would Ryan Medicare plan affect Florida? With full tickets on the trail, two sides spar over Medicare. In Florida, Medicare is an unavoidable topic. Ryan will address Medicare in Florida. Medicare shadows Romney in Florida. There there are statewide elections across the state of Florida today, but the headlines there are dominated by something else entirely. And therein lies the big problem with what Mitt Romney for President, uh, the Mitt Romney for President campaign uh, has just done with their vice presidential selection. By picking Paul Ryan for VP, the Romney campaign obviously wanted to change the conversation. Boy, did they. Rather than the conversation in Florida today being about, I wonder who Republicans will pick tonight to run against Bill Nelson, or I wonder if a 10-term congressman will get voted out of office tonight, the conversation in Florida tonight instead is, I wonder if Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan are seriously going to kill Medicare if they win the White House in November. If you are the Mitt Romney for president campaign, Medicare and Paul Ryan's... Controversial plans for it being the discussion in Florida now that is a problem for your campaign You now somehow have to convince the country You have to somehow convince senior citizens in Florida that you don't really want to kill Medicare even though you just put the kill Medicare guy on the ticket Understandably this has tied the Romney campaign into knots for these first few days of having Paul Ryan to answer for Dating back to last year, Mitt Romney has gone back and forth and forth and back about whether he was for the Paul Ryan Kill Medicare budget or whether he was against it. So much has happened since then that I actually think his incoherence on that issue was sort of lost to history for a while. But now that Mr. Romney has picked Paul Ryan as his running mate, that incoherence is not just history anymore, it is policy for now. And it is maybe their biggest problem with putting Mr. Ryan on the ticket. Mr. Romney, his campaign, and his surrogates cannot seem to decide if Mr. Romney is for Paul Ryan's Kilmetiker plan or if they are against it. A spokesperson for Mr. Romney told us that Mr. Romney is on the same page as Paul Ryan in terms of reducing the budget. But the spokesperson told us that Mr. Romney will be proposing his own changes regarding Medicare.
3: With regards to Medicare, I would lay out the plan that, uh, well, I actually did a couple of months ago that said, again, for higher income recipients, lower benefit, a premium support program which allows people to buy either current standard Medicare or a private plan. And this is the proposal which uh, uh, Congressman Paul Ryan has adopted. It's a proposal which I believe is absolutely right on. You
5: said during a debate earlier this year, Paul Ryan's latest Medicare proposal, that it's
0: absolutely right on. So I'm curious, is there anything about it you disagree
3: with? Well, the, the items that we agree on, uh, I, I think, outweigh any differences that there may be.
2: There may be. We'll take a look at the at the differences. First of all, I mean he did he he, he did embrace what the, the, the Ryan budget. I mean he he embraced it I have my budget
3: plan as you know that I I've put out and uh, and that's the budget plan that we're gonna run on. My plan for Medicare is very similar to his plan for Medicare. But isn't but the, the Ryan the plan ticket? the Romney plan? I mean here's what Mitt no, Romney it isn't. Well let me just read you a quote. No, it, Hang on. But it isn't. I applaud it. It's an excellent piece of work. And, uh, and very much needed. It sounds That's awfully
7: right. like the Paul Ryan Medicare plan.
0: But it's very different.
7: different. Honestly, you, you would think this would be the one thing they would have prepped for when deciding to pick Paul Ryan to be VP, but they are totally lost on this. It's a great plan. Actually, I'm going to be running on my own plan. My plan is very similar to Paul Ryan's plan. You know, I'm sure there are lots of differences between my plan and Paul Ryan's plan. Paul Ryan is absolutely right on. Our budgets are very different. The Romney campaign is now trying to deflect interest in this issue by saying ask Obama about this, he's the one who wants to kill Medicare. But when they are asked how Mitt Romney's plan for Medicare differs from Paul Ryan's plan for Medicare, they really don't have an answer, or or they've got every answer, or they've got what answer do you want to hear right now. The Romney campaign is going to have to sort out whether they are for or against Paul Ryan on the presidential level. But it is already sorted out for Republicans down ballot, for Republicans running down the ticket for House and Senate. Down ballot, there is no such ambiguity about the Paul Ryan plan. Roll Call and The Hill and Politico, all featuring articles right now about Republicans freaking out about what Paul Ryan's addition to the ticket means for every other Republican on the ballot in November. Quote, in more than three dozen interviews with Republican strategists and campaign operatives, old hands and rising next generation conservatives alike, the most common reactions to Ryan ranged from gnawing at prehension to hair-on-fire anger that Romney has practically ceded the election. Quote, very not helpful down ballot. Very, said one top Republican consultant. This is the day the music died, one Republican operative involved in 2012 races said after the rollout. The operative said that every House candidate now is racing to get ahead of this issue. Yet another operative deeply involved in the 2012 campaign tells Politico, quote, a week ago we were talking about jobs, and this week we're talking about entitlement reform. Everybody loves Paul Ryan. Everybody supported the Ryan plan, the strategist said, but nobody thinks Paul Ryan should be the tip of the spear. Perhaps Mitt Romney is going to figure out a way to put this fire out within his own campaign, for his own campaign. But whether they like it or not, every other Republican in the country is now running with Paul Ryan as his or her running mate. Here's how one Republican strategist working on this year's congressional races put it to the Hill. He said, quote, There are a lot of races that are close to the line that we're not going to win now. It could put the Senate out of reach. In the House, it puts a bunch of races in play that would have otherwise been safe. It remains to be seen how much damage this causes. But my first blush is, this is not good.
9: And So hard, so hard To man was found
1: Here's a little bit more from uh, Paul Ryan on the, on the stump. Oh, He's on the campaign trail. Here he is giving the stump. We need somebody who has a bedrock of principles, a moral compass, a vision for the country, and the experience, the expertise to put that vision into place. And since we aren't, don't have anybody like that, we're going to settle for these two rich shitheads. <laughs> <laughs> Plan B. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we can't get that, we're going to go with some uh, some glib and attractive who flatters our bonehead sensibilities. Right? Also,
4: you know, uh, Paul Ryan has been portrayed by some people in the media as the more down-to-earth blue-collar person on the ticket. And it's true that... Romney has $250 million. Uh, Paul Ryan has a, a net worth of about 4 or $5 million. That's so he's a, really oh hurting. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. How, how does he, embarrassing. How how does I he, saw him at the 99 cent store the other day. <laughs> <laughs> he bought Buying the store. It, yes. because, because he only has $5 million, He's he's in the 99%. That's why he was there. <laughs> Let me get.
1: Uh, there's some stuff here, ba. So you know how Paul Ryan made his money? Do you know where his money comes from? Construction. <laughs> Paul Ryan's family made its family fortune in construction, building highways for the government. Oh, exactly. The government. Exactly hmm. the kind of big government public works program that Paul Ryan now opposes. More recently, Ryan incorpor- incorporated has been a defense contractor raking in millions of public money for themselves. Keep that in mind when you see the hypocritical fraud talk about individualism and the need to shrink government. And he voted against the Lilly Ledbetter Act, which makes him an irredeemable scumbag. (laughs)
4: Uh,
1: uh, Paul Ryan, when he says uh, somebody with a moral compass, he means no gay marriage. And if you get raped by your brother, you name the kid after him. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what John Boehner had to say. Here's his assessment. He's he was asked to weigh in on Paul Ryan's conservative credentials.
3: I think that uh, uh, he's a practical uh, conservative. Uh, he, he's he's got a very conservative voting record, uh, but he's not uh, a knuckle dragger. Right. Uh, he understood the TARP. Uh, while none of us wanted to do it, uh,
5: if we were going to save uh, uh, save our economy and save the world economy, it had to happen.
3: I wish we didn't have to do it either, but he understood that.
1: First of all, he just called the Tea Party members yeah, knuckle, knuckle, draggers. <laughs> knuckle draggers. Did I say knuckle dragger? I meant patriotic American who just happens to drag his knuckles. <laughs> <laughs>
9: Neanderthal comment by Missouri Republican Todd Aiken about so-called legitimate rapes, rarely leading to pregnancies, not only damages his candidacy for the Senate, it also damages the Romney-Ryan candidacy for the White House. And it puts Paul Ryan's Neanderthal views on abortion in the spotlight. I'm as pro-life as a person gets, Ryan told the Weekly Standard back in 2010. Indeed, he is. Like Aiken, Ryan doesn't believe that a woman should be allowed to get an abortion after she's been raped. Ryan has also voted to prohibit American service women from getting abortions in U.S. medical facilities abroad. He's voted to cut off federal funding for family planning overseas. He believes life begins at conception, and he's voted to grant the fertilized egg all the rights of persons. And he's voted to cut off federal funding to Planned Parenthood, which Romney also vows to do. But not allowing abortions, even for victims of rape, is way too much for most Americans. So the Romney campaign has distanced itself from Ryan's position on this issue. The campaign issued a statement on Sunday night that said the Romney-Ryan administration would not oppose abortion in instances of rape. I'd like to hear Paul Ryan's response to that one. Note to Joe Biden and to the moderator of the upcoming VP debate, make him squirm. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
6: Call me a joker. call me a fool.
10: detail on Paul Ryan is uh, from Wisconsin he said he's known as the man who puts the sconce into Wisconsin because he just loves wall mounted lights <laughs> he simply cannot abide pendants and still less freestanding floor lamps uh, in Wisconsin a local TV uh, station has refused to air uh, a campaign advert showing Ryan tipping an old woman in a wheelchair off a cliff um, uh, have you seen this advert? no alright <laughs> It's excellent. The, the pro- I, I haven't read the full article about it, so I don't know if it is a democratic uh, advert or a Republican one. Because I mean, I guess they could probably <laughs> both <Yeah>. both approve <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of that. I mean, Ryan. It's unclear whether it shows the actual Ryan showing an actual granny off a cliff. He's never explicitly denied hurling old women off cliffs, and that is an eerie silence that frankly speaks volumes of the man. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, it's just hidden fo- hidden camera footage of his, stand- of his standard Sunday morning stroll to church. Breakfast, kill an old woman, worship the Lord. I mean, that is hard to <laughs> be. Hard to be. But as with almost all political adverts, it is unlikely to have any effect, because Democrats will see it and think... Oh, this man shoves wheelchair-bound grannies to their deaths off cliffs. That is awful. I'm definitely still not going to vote for him, just as I wasn't already not going to vote for him before. <laughs> Whereas Republicans are going to think he shoves wheelchair-bound grannies to their deaths off cliffs. At last, someone prepared to take tough action to solve this nation's social and economic problems. It's only a start. I hope ideally like to see him shove the poor off cliffs as well. But I guess he'll hopefully roll that out over the course of his vice presidency. I'm definitely still going to vote for him, just as I was already going to vote for him before. I. <laughs> I <laughs> fucking love democracy. I guess it's all going to boil down to another classic de- uh, democratic spending versus republican thrift battle after the Obama years have seen the federal spending budget balloon by 8% following eight years of belt tightening under Bush in which the federal spending budget shrank by minus 89%. <laughs> hang on, hang on shrie, isn't, that, isn't that the same as growing by 89%? No, no, that must be wrong. That must be wrong. No,
6: no, it, uh, no, sorry. I can't be on. right. That doesn't make any sense. Under Bush, govern-
10: government spending shrank to almost twice its previous level.
6: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That sounds um, better. Yeah,
10: I'm glad I've got that right. I mean, some of these figures might be wrong because I was using an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet from WhiteHouse.gov. So it's probably basically Soviet propaganda. <laughs> but America... Is this still true? The American government is currently spending 50% more than it's earning. But I would say... You're only what young ones. America's only in its what 230s, 200, yeah, 220s. It's still young as a nation, John.
6: Still young as a nation. You gotta splash the cash about, Andy. It's quite burning a hole in America's pocket.
5: Who is Paul Ryan? Here's a guy who they claim is oh my this guy is anti-government. Of course what they don't tell you is that uh when his father passed away, which of course is tragic, he wound up taking social security. You know social security is not just for senior citizens, it covers situations like that as well. And he didn't necessarily need it. Uh in fact, he didn't use it at the time when his father passed away. Uh, he apparently comes from a well-to-do family. They have a construction business in Wisconsin. The whole family does, that's what he worked for as a kid, etc., made some extra cash that way, and so he saved it up for college. So he wound up paying his whole way through college based on the Social Security benefits that his family got. Now, what does Paul Ryan want to do? If he gets in charge, he wants to cut social security, cut Medicare, cut Medicaid. Yeah, it helps him. Who cares? I already got mine, man. So, I'm going to burn the bridge down after me. So, is that the only way that he's benefited from the government? Of course not. His house has a 20% tax credit because it's a historical house and the government has deemed it that way in order to help him maintain it. They give him a tax credit 20. Wait, wait, why don't you give the tax credit back? I thought you hated the government. I thought you were for small government. No, it turns out you love big government when it helped you to get through college, when it gives you a break, an extra break that nobody else gets on their house. Well, how about his career? I mean, my God, this guy's all about the private sector. He must have done that forever. No, flip burgers for McDonald's for a little bit, drove around in a Wiener mobile apparently when he was younger, and he worked as a fitness trainer. But those are all tiny little jobs. The entirety of his career in the real world has been. Since he's graduated, even in fact before he graduated college. Twenty-one years in Congress. But wait a minute, I thought you hated the government. But you've been taking a paycheck from the government all along, all you've ever done. Worked as a Senate uh, aide for several different Republicans, then you worked as a congressman for 30 years. I thought you hated the government. What happened? So they paid for your education, it is your major employer for your whole life, it even pays for a part of your house. I thought you hated the government. All right, we're just at the tip of the iceberg in his hypocrisies. So now here's the other thing they tell us: oh, no, 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 Paul Ryan! Oh boy, he is wants to uh, solve the deficit situation. Man, if he is uh, anything, it is a deficit cutter, budget cutter. That's what he's all about. Oh yeah? Well, let me show you the reality. He voted yes on TARP in 2008. He voted yes on economic stimulus. HR 510 in 2008. When it's Bush doing the stimulus, he of course loved it. He voted yes on a $15 billion bailout for GM and Chrysler. He voted yes on $192 billion additional anti recession stimulus spending under Obama. He voted yes on authorizing military force in Iraq. That war only cost us at the very least $1.2 trillion uh that doesn't even c- count the veteran costs afterwards it doesn't count interest when you add it all up between iraq and afghanistan it's cost us 3 to 4 trillion dollars but yeah yeah this guy loves cutting the deficit my ass he does voted yes on emergency 78 billion dollars for war in iraq and afghanistan emergency that was in 2003 uh voted yes on declaring iraq part of war on terror with no exit date you want to spend trillions of dollars on wars paul ryan jumps in it he loves it Voted no on redeploying US troops out of Iraq starting in 90 days. That's in May of two thousand There is an award he, does, he doesn't want to spend money on. That's not all. Voted yes on making the Bush era tax cuts permanent. Yeah, those Bush tax cuts so far have only added $2.8 trillion to our deficit. Wait a minute, I thought Paul Ryan hated the deficit. What's going on? $2.8 trillion. He added to the deficit with those votes, but I'm not done kicking his ass yet. Let's move on to Medicare Part D. Voted no on requiring negotiated uh, drug prices for Medicare Part D. You know what that means? That means the government, on our behalf for Medicare, cannot even negotiate with the drug companies. We have to pay whatever price they want, because that's how Bush wanted it, and that's how Paul Ryan voted. Oh, by the way, it's also awfully convenient that one of his top contributors are the insurance companies. Of course! He doesn't give a damn about the deficit? You kidding me? No, what he cares about is who's paying me. Insurance companies are paying me? Great. The government cannot negotiate with you. You just name your price and they'll have to pay it. This guy is a complete and utter fraud. Now, I, and wait a minute. He's anti big government, right? I don't like big government. Except, of course, it's intruding on a woman's. Right of privacy between her and her doctor—he can get between you and your doctor in a second. The number of things he's voted against for women is unprecedented. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, other parts of big government: Patriot Act making it permanent, Military Commissions Act, Protect America Act—so-called Protect America Act—that allows for warrantless wiretapping of all U.S. citizens. Wait a minute! I thought you hated big government. There, you're letting them, uh, big government detain us indefinitely if they want, without a trial. You're letting them spying on us. You love big government, you fraud. All right. Now, how about when it comes to women's rights? Uh voted no on birth control coverage for federal employees. You want birth control? Not gonna give it to you. When President Obama did the exception, saying that yes, uh religious institutions should uh pay for uh birth control and then later compromise said you know what religious institutions don't even have to pay for it insurance has to pay for it every single time Ryan opposes no birth control no birth control no birth control co-sponsor of the sanctity of human life act that declared that life begins at fertilization he's inside your womb He's like, oh wait, 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 wait! Oh, you just got screwed! Oh, okay, let me see. Have the, have, do we have a zygote yet? Did the sperm meet the egg? I'm, I'm right in there. That's where Paul Ryan is. Oh, he hates big government. Are you kidding me? Do you know that that would outlaw certain forms of birth control? <laughs> in vitro fertilization? No, you can't do it anymore because Paul Ryan is inside your uterus. But he hates big government. Continuing, voted at least four times to defund Planned Parenthood. Voted no to Lily Ledbetter Act in two thousand and nine. So, uh, if women, you want the same pay for the same exact job, sad day for you. Paul Ryan has got no interest in that, but he's got nice abs. He works out a lot. So I'm sure you're going to be in favor of him. Now, you can tell, he's for big government, for big spending, has taken advantage of the government his entire life. Now, let me give you the final sense of how much Paul Ryan has created the deficit. Cut the deficit. you kidding me? Let's talk about how he created it. Now, take a look at this chart. Top yellow, that is the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. This is is all the different things that have added to the current deficits that we have. See, the second uh, orange there is the Bush era tax cuts. That's 2.8 trillion I was telling you about. So now Ryan's voted yes, yes. Those are two biggest parts of the deficit so far. Next is recovery measures. Yes, voted yes on those. Uh, Next is Tarp, Fannie, and Freddie. Guess what? Voted yes on that as well. In favor of the bailouts. And then finally, the dark blue is the economic downturn. Now, when did the economic downturn begin? Unquestionably, every American will tell you, under the Republicans, under Bush and under Ryan. Okay? So, all that giant part of the deficit, signed for and delivered by Paul Ryan through all of his votes. You tell me you don't like the deficit? Then, why did you create such a giant one? Let me go back to that graph one last time. You see the very, very bottom there, the little white section? That's how small the deficit would have been if it wasn't for all the programs that Paul Ryan was in favor of. It would have been nearly non existent. As Alvin Green said about Jim DeMint and how he started the recession, if there's anything at all that's true in politics, it's that Paul Ryan created the deficit. With all of his votes. Were there others involved? Of course, George Bush, the rest of the Republican Party. But don't come telling me you hate the deficit when you're the one who created the one in the first place. Look, what you will hear in the media is lies. They will say to you over and over "Oh, this is the guy who fights against the deficit. But that's what he wants you to say. But it's not based in reality at all. So don't say it. That's the reality. Those are his real votes. Those are the results of the votes. That's Paul Ryan. That's who he is.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm going to put voicemails on hold for today, but if you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I have a story today, but first a, a sort of a relevant piece of context for this. So Jamie Kilstein is the host of Citizen Radio. I've heard him say this a few times. I always laugh when he does. And he talks about how he sort of has this visceral reaction to Republicans and conservatives, and he just basically... His instinct is to disagree with whatever it is they're saying. It's it's almost like a force of habit. Once you disagree with someone enough times for a long enough period, you know, then you just think, oh, whatever he's saying, I probably disagree with that. And then he'll he'll talk about, you know, back in the Bush years, Bush would get up and give a speech talking about uh, terrorists and how terrorists are bad, and he would. So Jamie would kind of like pause for a moment, he'd be like, wait, uh, am I? Am I in favor of the terrorists now? Like, what, what just happened here? Bush is against terrorism, should I be in favor of it? And, you know, you just have that, that moment where you're like, wait, someone who I always disagree with is saying something I agree with? Like, that's kind of that's kind of weird. So so that's just a little bit of odd context for this story. So now, uh, flash forward to just a few days ago, I'm, I'm about to get on the train, uh, on the Metro, in Washington D.C., and there's a guy standing in front of me who's gonna get on the train first. We're waiting for the door to open, and uh, so so this guy's like probably mid twenties, and he's wearing a robe and head covering that gives me the impression that he is probably religious. If I had to guess, I would say Muslim, but I really don't know. Um, but you know, it's just it's just my instinct. You don't generally see that sort of garb on uh, on someone who's not religious in some form. So the the doors open and I sort of think we're about to start walking and he doesn't take a step on the train. He, he doesn't move. And then he actually sort of turns and he starts waving other people to go ahead of him. And I mean, it literally does not occur to me who he's waving to or why just that he is maybe being sort of generally polite. He's letting other people on. I, I just, it, it doesn't cross my mind what could possibly be going on. So I just think, oh, okay. And I kind of sidestep him. I'm going to get into the flow of people who are down on the train. And, you know, maybe his, his eyes and mind meet. Uh, maybe they don't. I think he says something. Anyways, I, I come to the realization of what he's doing. He, he conveys somehow that he's not just waving everyone to go ahead of him. He's waving to the women to go ahead of him. And I realize, oh, I see who you're waving to very specifically and, and kind of like saying like, oh, you know, ladies first here, ladies first. And like totally normal, polite tone, you know, no, nothing particularly strange about it. But it just feels weird. There's something weird about it. I mean, well, first of all, it just doesn't happen very often, people getting on the train like that. And uh, so it's out of the ordinary at the very least. But. I have sort of like Jamie and his uh you know reaction to Bush a visceral reaction to this, where I'm like you know w- this is this is wrong like this feels uncomfortable, and it's not you know it's not letting women on first, and it's not the religious uh clothes he's wearing it's sort of the combination of the two that I think makes me uncomfortable and and like I said all this happens in just three seconds flat it, it goes by very fast and and I realize. That just made me really uncomfortable. The idea, this guy, you know, he's, he's waving the women to come on first, and and I have this reaction like, oh, like screw that guy. You know, who, who does he think he is, letting women on first? Which is a very uncomfortable thought to have as a progressive. It's this? It feels. I'm like, wait, am I am I anti woman now <laughs> because this guy, uh, you know, religious garb being uh, chivalrous theoretically to women what's going on? You know, why am I thinking this? And so I actually spend that whole train ride wondering where did that visor reaction come from? And, uh, and the, another note on him after he got on the train, he sort of announced to everyone and, and no one in particular about how women should be let on the train first, not in a, like a mean way, but he's sort of like, uh, like he put on this air, of uh, moral superiority about how he was the only one who thought to let the women on first, and like, hey, everyone, like, you come on, let, let's let the women on first, right? You know, and all of this really dramatically rubs me the wrong way, and so I spin this train ride wondering why does that rub me the wrong way, and the conclusion I came to is is the idea that. You know, or, or, you know, my sense or fear that his sense of chivalry is derived from his religion, which, in my experience, tends to be a sort of more arbitrary way of coming upon your moral compass than, you know, than coming to it yourself, your own sense of, of right and wrong. So, his sense is women should be led on first because they deserve uh, respect in, in that way theoretically but if it comes to him you know if, if his thoughts about that come to him from his religion then to me it seems less genuous and my fear you know and, and you know his his uh, inner thoughts aren't particularly relevant uh, if you know if he's going to act the same either way being chivalrous and nice to women that's perfectly fine but my fear is that if he lets women on first only because his religious doctrine tells him that that's what is supposed to happen, then, then my sense and fear is that maybe he doesn't really have a genuine respect for women uh, and he's just kind of following this rule and trying to shame everyone else who doesn't follow his rule while at the same time not actually holding those beliefs, not actually having that genuine respect for women that I like to imagine that I do. So I, you know, I I ride the train, I have these thoughts. He is uh talking to his friend a few seats down. He's a little bit far away for me to hear what he's saying. So I I'm, I'm not listening to his conversation. Besides, I'm I have my headphones in. I'm listening to politics as always. And and so then it, it comes time for uh you know, my stop is approaching. And so I I'm, I'm getting ready to get off and it turns out he's getting off at the same stop, he and his friend. And so they they get up and they get a little bit closer to me and so I can hear what he's saying again. And it turns out he's having a conversation with his friend and he's referring to a woman way down at the end of the train. And he's commenting to his friend about this woman, saying, and he says, Hey, uh, you know, ch- ch- check that lady out. She, she doesn't seem too happy. Um, you know, she, she just doesn't seem like she seems sort of upset or uh, like she's not having a good time. You know what I bet she needs? I think she needs a man on top of her. And I thought, bingo. That is exactly what I was worried about. Now, you know, whether my fears about him would have normally been justified I, you know, I'm I'm sure lots and lots of times I would have been in that same situation and he wouldn't have been a closet misogynist (laughs) talking about how the only way women can be happy is to have a man on top of them but that really sort of, you know, at least in my mind, confirmed my fears about his uh, perspective on women and his sort of arbitrary sense of when they deserve respect and when they don't so to be honest I have no idea if this story deserves any sort of a, a response from anyone nor am I sure that it has a moral of any kind, but if you can think of a moral to this story, I would love to hear what it is. Uh, Or if you have any comment of any kind, uh, send those along as well. The number to dial, 206-202-3410. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making a one-time donation. That is how the show survives. All that can be done through the donation page or the membership page at bestoftheleft.com. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks that can also be done at the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely. To the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
4: Five pints are black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right. Pitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you want to be. A dying man in a living room. The shadow bases the floor you out any open door this is not my life it's just a fun farewell to a friend it's not what I'm like